Let's pray again, please. Father, help me speak words that represent the intended meaning of Your text. Help me illustrate it. Help me unfold it. And don't leave us there. Let Your Holy Spirit be here to cause our hearts to love, to rejoice in, to treasure that which we see revealed in Your holy text. In the name of Your Son, Jesus. Amen. This morning in this series on a journey through biblical history, my intention is to do this. To turn to Matthew, not at the moment, chapter 13, and let Jesus unfold with those kingdom parables the mystery of the kingdom. It's where I'm headed. In the last two sermons, we have seen that in Jesus' coming, the kingdom of God arrived. Let me form the question this way to begin with. Is the kingdom of God a future reality that is to be hoped for? Or is the kingdom of God a present reality that is to be experienced right now? In the last two sermons, we saw that the answer to that question is it is partly future and it is partly present. We have seen that there are blessings of the future kingdom of God that are not available now. And we saw that there are blessings of that kingdom that have come into history in the present and are available. We saw that there's some of the power of the kingdom is here working and has been working. And we should tap into it. We should seek the kingdom with all of our heart. And we saw there's other aspects of the power of the kingdom that are not yet. It won't be until the consummation of the kingdom, the second coming of Christ. Some of the curse and the misery that is here in the world can be experienced as overcoming because of the presence of the kingdom. And much of the suffering and the curse and the misery in this present age cannot be overcome. It is not yet. In Jesus' coming, the decisive battle was fought and it was won over sin, suffering, sickness, death, once for all. But the war is not over. The best analogy I know for that is World War II D-Day. When we, the Allies, stormed the coast of France, Normandy, lost tens of thousands. But once we gained that ground and pushed the Germans back and had the shores, now we knew we can almost infinitely bring whatever we needed. And it was the war was over. In, other than you had to still fight the battles. Normandy was Jesus' first coming. It's over. The war is not in doubt. Neither was World War II. It just took another year to get to Berlin. 
Jesus' first coming, He won it all. But there's a war in every one of our lives in this present evil age before the consummation of the kingdom. We must fight sin. Resist Satan. Sickness, disease has to be prayed over. Death has to be endured until the second coming. The consummation of the kingdom. That's where we've been. And the reason I'm spending this third week, I think one more week, on the kingdom of God, is I find that to understand the tension between the now and the not yet that Jesus was talking about, and Paul says it in his own words, is extremely important for your faith. First, so that your hope will deepen that there is an incomparable kingdom that is yet future that is you, you can't grasp in this time and space right now what lay in store for you. Secondly, that your confidence in that future kingdom, it's there, it's coming, resurrection's coming, but your confidence that Jesus the King has assured through His work in the atonement, in the resurrection, it's coming absolutely to you. But thirdly, to understand what is Jesus talking about? Saying the kingdom's here, it's present, and then in the next breath, it's future, it's not here, it's a long way off. To understand that tension gives you a theological, biblical grid in which you can handle the reality that you live in now. And that is this. God does heal people. He saves people. That's the biggest miracle of all regeneration. There's the power of the kingdom that's present now. That's why we pray for one another in loved ones and friends for various different things. Yet, at the same time, the world is still riddled with sin, war, Satan, demons, unbelief. And it will be. And the church has all that stuff in it to one extent or another. So what I want to do first Instead of going to a bunch of scriptures like I've done in the last few weeks, I just want to go, go to one scripture where Jesus, again, there it is. See it? The kingdom of God came. It's here. It's now. It's present. And then go to another one. Nope, it's not here. It's future. First, turn to Luke chapter 17, verse 20 to 21. Jesus makes a clear statement that with His coming, the kingdom, that is the rule and the reign of God that was promised through the prophets, the Son of David, is here being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, He answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed. Nor will they say, Look, here it is, or over there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. It's here. What Jesus is doing here is correcting a misunderstanding of those whom he was speaking to, first century Jews. He is correcting a misunderstanding about the kingdom. That in the kingdom, which is coming with him, would come with 
manifestly observable signs that you cannot miss. He's saying, no. The idea that the kingdom comes and Rome will be overturned. Israel will be vindicated. And the earthly kingdom, the Son of David, Jesus, would sit on the throne and now rule. Jesus said, no. It's not coming with signs to be observed like that. And that's the mystery of the kingdom. He's saying the kingdom is here. It's in your midst without what you see in the Old Testament in a lot of passages. Without those manifestly observable signs that no one can miss. It's here because I, Jesus, am here. It is here in my arrival even though I'm not going to overturn Rome. Even though I'm not going to set up my rule and reign in Jerusalem physically. Yet, that's the mystery. One more text, though. Future. He said it's here, but look over to Luke 19. A few chapters forward. Verses 11 and 12. And he makes the point that the kingdom clearly is, in another sense, not here, or not yet. Starting with verse 11. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, and here's his parable, he starts it off, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Now go back to the beginning there. He says clearly, why? He was near Jerusalem. In other words, Jesus knew because of their theological grid, they're getting close to the power center of the land. Is this it? Are we going to do it now? You take the throne? He knew we're near Jerusalem and He knew they're missing it. My first coming isn't going to be like that. He knows they're thinking, Son of David, take the throne. And so Jesus told a parable to make it clear that the kingdom is not here yet in that way. That way is still a long way off. And so without reading the whole parable, he starts it off with, a nobleman went into a far country, referring to himself, to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. He said, in other words, I, the king, I'm here, but I'm going away. He will go away. He will die. He will rise. And then He will ascend. And He's away. But there's going to be another time He's going to come back and then receive and bring the full consummation of that kingdom. But here Jesus is making the point, make no mistake about it, the kingdom of God is still future. Okay. Those together, what do we have? The kingdom of God in Jesus' ministry has come. And the coming of the kingdom is still future. As we have seen, that was really puzzling to His hearers. 
It threw the Pharisees into mass confusion. What are you talking about? It took John the Baptist off guard. Go ask him, are you the one or are you not? Why am I in jail? It caused one crowd to want to take Jesus and throw Him off a cliff. And it caused another crowd to want to put a crown on His head. Come on, reign! Be king! It caused Pilate at the trial to be so baffled to finally say, So, you, you are king? And it caused His apostles from His death on Friday until His resurrection and His appearance on Sunday to be utterly dejected and depressed and hopeless. It was just baffling. They couldn't get it. Behind all that confusion is what the New Testament calls the mysterion, the Greek word mystery, or as the ESV goes ahead and translates it, the secret of the kingdom. And so, that's why now I want to turn to Matthew chapter 13. Because in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus gives a string of parables. Parables are little stories to make a point to unfold the kingdom. The mystery of the kingdom. And it was a mystery. Because the Old Testament canon had been closed for 400 years. But, the idea that Jesus would come in two stages. The King would come, the Messiah would come, first as a suffering servant, and then as the glorified Lord of heaven and earth from the clouds, was not manifestly clear in the Old Testament. There were hints about it as we've seen, like Isaiah 53. But if you're a good, honest, you would do the same thing. Don't blame the Pharisees. You're a good, honest reader of the Hebrew text of Scripture and the prophecies of the Son of David coming. This is it. The King will come. He will wipe out sin, evil, sickness, Satan. He will set up His throne and rule from Jerusalem now forever. That's what they're waiting for. One fell swoop. They don't see this idea coming first as a suffering servant and dying and then sometime way in the future coming a second time. Then to fulfill those other manifestly even physical prophecies. That's the mystery now that Jesus is going to unfold. So are you there in Matthew 13? Look at verse 11. Jesus says to His disciples in verse 11, To you it has been given to know the mysteries or the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. Jump down a few verses to 16 and 17. But blessed are your eyes, my disciples, for your eyes see and your ears, for they hear. Truly I say to you, many prophets in the past, before I came, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, and they didn't see it. And to hear what you hear, and they didn't hear it. He's saying, you, now, listening to me, first century, here I am, are seeing the fulfillment of the things they desired desperately to see because they saw them in Scripture. That is, the kingdom, he's saying, has come in my person, but he's saying, there's a mystery about it. It's coming utterly in an unexpected way. No one expected it to come. 
the first time, the way it came. He's saying, the kingdom's here. You see it. Most people, these Pharisees over here, don't see it. It's right in front of them, but they can't see it. No one ever thought the kingdom could come and have people not know it. It was going to be a cataclysmic coming from heaven, inbreaking into earth, and transforming everything. But Jesus is just here. And so much of the present evil age hasn't changed at all. That's a mystery. And that's what he's trying to unfold in telling these nice everyday stories, stuff they can relate to. That's what a parable is to illustrate a point. Tell another story, illustrate another nuance of the point he wants to make about the kingdom. With me? Let's start then with the first parable. I'm not going to read the whole thing. It's too long. Chapter 13, verses 1 to 23, the parable of the sower. Behold, here's the story. They can relate to it. The farmer has got good seed. He throws it out, and the seed lands on four different types of soil. Jump down to verse 18 now. We'll read where Jesus says, let me just explain explicitly what I meant by the story. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the Word of the Kingdom, that's the Gospel, the Gospel of the Kingdom, the Word of the Kingdom, and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. That is what was sown on the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the Word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet, He Himself has no root in Himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the Word, immediately He falls away. As for the one sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the Word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the Word. And it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on the good soil, this is the person who hears the Word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. So, Jesus says, here's the mystery of the kingdom. I'm unfolding something that no one saw coming. Four things happen when the kingdom, the message, the gospel of the kingdom is preached. One is, Satan snatches that word out of a person's heart. Another thing that happens is that life's troubles and persecutions cause the person, can't take it anymore, fall away. Another thing that happens is just everyday stuff like changing diapers, paying rent, paying your mortgage, getting to work. Too many cares choke the word ultimately comes to nothing. And the other thing happens is that word hits good soil. Something happened in a heart with someone that the word goes in and it produces real fruit. Now, we can, of course, talk about different things. You can have a sermon on each one of those. But I think Jesus' overall larger point of what He's saying about this mystery is this main point that they didn't see coming. And that's this. The kingdom has come. The message of the kingdom is going out. 
and it will be going out, but it will not sweep the world. They had no grid for that. The power of the kingdom is here to save some. They weren't expecting that. If you look at the parable, what he's saying is three-fourths of the gospel of the kingdom preaching will come to nothing. Only one-fourth. It produced what it was intended. Salvation. In Christ. The majority of people, he's saying, on earth during this present evil age still until the end are not coming into the kingdom that is in the sense of the kingdom of salvation where something is transformed, the authority of the kingdom salvifically, people were just going on their merry way, living and dying, and oblivious to the presence of the kingdom. That was utterly unexpected by everyone Jesus was speaking to in that day. Messiah has arrived. The kingdom of God is at hand. They didn't expect when he said that, that this is what it meant. That's the mystery of the kingdom. Turn to the next parable. Starting with verse 24, Jesus tells the parable of the wheat and the weeds. Just to summarize real briefly, the farmer, he wants to grow wheat. Throws his wheat seed out there. Great. Then an enemy comes at night, he's not looking, and sows weeds in his field along with the wheat. Thus the wheat and the weeds grow together. Thus, true sons of the kingdom, since the kingdom has come, and sons of the evil one grow together, exist side by side. Jesus says this is a picture of the kingdom. They grow together. Look at His interpretation, starting with verse 37. Chapter 13 of Matthew. The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. That's Himself, Jesus. The field is the world. And the good seed is the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the close of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the close of the age. The Son of Man will send His angels and they will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He's saying, This is the mystery. The thing that was hidden that now Jesus is unfolding to them. The mystery is that the kingdom of God has come. But it didn't come like they thought. To destroy all evil. To destroy all weeds. The kingdom of God has come with Christ and what it is producing since His first coming until His second coming is a mixed society. See, they're expecting, and you can get this from a lot of Old Testament prophecies, the king's going to come and there won't be any mix. 
It's going to be a kingdom of righteousness. A kingdom of peace. No Satan, nor demons, nor evil, nor sickness, nor tears anymore. God. And Jesus says, that's not yet. The mystery is the kingdom has come and the weeds are still here and they're growing side by side with the wheat, the sons of the kingdom. That was a mystery that He's unfolding. It's different than what you thought. He's saying, look at the next parable. The mustard seed. Verses 31 and 32. He put another parable before them saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds. But when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He's saying, the mystery is that the kingdom of God in Jesus is like a mustard seed. He came with the kingdom, the rule and the reign of God, like a tiny, almost seemingly insignificant mustard seed and not a military coup. See, what they're expecting, the kingdom's going to come, that tree is going to go BAM! That's what the Old Testament looked like to them. And Jesus said, it ain't coming that way. It's coming with a seed. Now that seed is that tree. That tree is not ultimately something in its essence different than the seed. That tree is coming from that seed. The kingdom is here, but like a mustard seed. One day, it will be this full tree. The second coming, the consummation. And they are the same. But the seed, in its form, is different than the full-blown tree. That they didn't expect. That is the mystery of the kingdom of God. They expected one fell swoop cataclysmic transformation of heaven and earth. One more. Skip down to the parable of the fishing net. Verses 47 to 50. Again, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad fish. So it will be at the close of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He says, here I am, fold the kingdom, he's saying. It's like, you fishermen, you know, you, you know this, Peter, you guys know, you know this. Here's, here's your net, right? The kingdom of God's like your net. It's here. The message in the Gospel of the Kingdom now are here and will be here and have been here for 2,000 years. And it's, when you preach it, it's, it's like throwing out the net. And what happens in response to that net is that it gathers different sorts. That kingdom has different responses. The good fish and the bad fish 
end up in that net of the kingdom. And they're not going to be separated until the end of the age when you draw the net up on shore, which he says is the consummation, the end of the age, the second coming. Just hear this closely so you don't miss what Jesus is saying. The separation of the bad fish from the good fish, the genuine kingdom people from those who are not truly in the kingdom. The separation he's talking about is not between the bad fish who never got caught in the net and the good fish who did get caught in the net. The parables here says the separation is between two kinds of people who get caught in the net of the kingdom. And the separation will happen at the end of the age. One will be kept. And another type of person will be thrown into the fire. The kingdom of God, that is the preaching of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, also called the gospel of the kingdom, the rule and the reign of God, because it came with Jesus and is still here, is producing different sorts in the net. The gospel goes out. It's been going out for 2,000 years. There's a message. And what that message ends up producing is fellowships. That is, gatherings of people. Because the message is here, the gospel of the kingdom is here, it ends up, ooh, you heard that too? Ooh, we're kind of like, we hear, ooh, it's called a church. Or the church. Or local church. It's called the visible church, which is produced by the gospel of the kingdom being preached. And here's Jesus' point of the parable. That church, I mean, those fish in that net are a mixed bag. It's the way it is. It's the way this age is and will be. Some are true disciples within the physical, that is visible church gatherings, and others ultimately will be found to be hypocrites. Bad fish. Within the visible net of the church, there are truly regenerate, that is born again, which produce true saving faith, and there are others in the church that it will be proved at the end when the net is drawn up on shore. We're never born again. The profession was not something evident of a true saving faith, of a seeing the light of the glory of the gospel. In the face of Christ. It was something else. Let me draw a few implications from that. First, in this teaching over these weeks of the kingdom of God, the gospel of the kingdom, which basically means the rule in the reign of God, that it's here present, it is an unseen rule in reign. There's nothing physical about it. It is the reign of Christ salvifically. If you've come to faith, one day God did a miracle on you and called you. You could not help yourself. You know that? You can't help yourself eat chocolate. That's what it was like. 
You might have been raised in a church like I was. I know the basic things. Yeah, okay, I guess I believe that. And then I didn't know I didn't truly believe until one day I really believed. I go, wow, that's what it is. I can, I can help myself. You're called to faith. That's the power and the work of the kingdom of God. So here, the kingdom of God is not the church. The kingdom of God is the rule and the reign of God. The church is a gathering and gatherings in localities of people. Church is not the kingdom. The church's mission is to preach the gospel of the kingdom. But the church is not the kingdom. Every human being in response to the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom who is born again, regenerated by the Holy Spirit, every one of them is now in the unseen realm, the kingdom. And I mean that in a way that Jesus meant that in John 3. Unless a person is born again, you cannot see nor can you enter the kingdom. Which logically means everyone who is in the kingdom, by definition, they have been born again. So everyone who is born again, that miracle of producing, saving faith in your heart... I see it. I, that, that's great news to me. And you just find yourself grasping hold of it. It's just changed your life. It's regeneration, which produces saving faith. Every one of those people are in the kingdom, and they do find themselves ultimately to get together with other people in the local church. They find the gathering with other people. But so do bad fish. That's the point. Weeds exist along with wheat. Let me say it this way. The kingdom of God, that unseen realm, see the visible church, you see it. You have membership roles, etc. But the kingdom of God, this unseen spiritual realm, Paul's term for I think the same thing is in Christ, that is absolutely pure. In that sense, the way I'm using kingdom now, there are no bad fish in the kingdom. In that sense, the kingdom is pure. The visible church in this age is not pure and it never will be pure until the second coming when the net is drawn up on the shore. Every true born-again person, they're in the kingdom, and they will find fellowship. If ultimately, over the long haul, they don't, it may be a very bad sign whether their faith is real. They'll find fellowship. They'll find themselves in the visible church. But not vice versa. Just because people find themselves as members in a visible church does not necessarily mean they're in the kingdom. So, I'm going to come back next week because I think because I, it would have been too long this morning. So, now that the kingdom is present, what are some of the th- what does it mean to seek first the kingdom now also? Is there really operations and power of Christ Jesus' rule and reign by his spirit in the kingdom present? Yes, and and to what extent? Cuz it's partly here, but it's not fully, but I'm going to hold off till next week. But I do want to close with four 
applications of what we've heard. First, beware of insisting that God demonstrate dimensions of the kingdom of God which are reserved for the consummated kingdom in the end. That He do that now. Let me give you one example. The health, wealth, prosperity gospel which essentially teaches Jesus Christ came, died on the cross, paid for our sin and our physical healing and prosperity, all that. My answer to that comment is, I totally agree. But when you make the next step, therefore, now, in this present age, before the consummation of the end time, now, absolute healing from your cancer from your little cold, from everything else you want, is here and it depends on how strong your faith is. It goes something like this. God, His will, His evident, and they don't even distinguish between the complexity of God's willing, but His will is He wants you healed. He doesn't want you to die of cancer. And if you do, it's ultimately because your faith was not strong enough. What that non-biblical teaching fails to understand is the tension between the teaching of the kingdom of God that is present and the kingdom which is still not yet. There are tastes, and from our perspective we think sometimes far too little taste of the future kingdom that His grace comes down and manifestly heals that person. And He sovereignly also has that one die. This is the age we're in. Do not demand nor expect nor receive teaching that tries to say you should expect all of this stuff in this present age, which is not here to expect absolutely, during this present age. Second application, beware of assuming that everyone who is swept into the visible church world is therefore also a true son or daughter of the kingdom. Jesus warns us not to do that. The existence of the church, the existence of the message of the Gospel, which has been here for 2,000 years, will have effects. And they are differing effects. And one of the effects is that at the end time, that net would have cast or, and grabbed a hold of lots of people who in the end will be cast out. Simple reasons, because they loved healing. That's why I love Jesus. Heal me! More than holiness. They love power. More than purity. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 7. On that day, many will say to me, Lord Jesus, Lord, did we not prophesy in Your name? and cast out demons in Your name and do many mighty works in Your name. And then I, Jesus, 
will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. They delighted in God meeting worldly needs more than they delighted in God. That's why, especially in our day and age, it is very dangerous on how one handles the Gospel. You may start to think, be nicer to grow this church, wouldn't it? Or maybe you got a church of 2,000. Grow more. I know. People are hurting in their marriages. Let's send the message out. we got a message for you. Here's the Gospel. Jesus will heal your marriage. A lot of broken, hurting people. If that is how you pervert the Gospel, that's not the Gospel. The Gospel is you will die in your sin. God is angry. Justly. And His anger is holy. But here's the message. He loves His glory so much He sent His only Son so that He, His Son, would bear the wrath you deserved. So that that problem that God had with you would be removed so that He could mercifully and graciously and unconditionally convert you to Himself so that now, starting here and then perfectly in the second coming forever, you would love, delight in, enjoy being with God. And thus God's glory would be extended all the more. If you just make little slight changes, if you can believe in Jesus, He may fix your marriage. A lot of people might respond to whatever kind of prayer or call or something you have for that. It doesn't mean they responded to the gospel. And that's why it's dangerous. And, and the net may be it really big. And that's why little slight changes. We have to be careful. I mean, I, I've heard a family member say, that's it, because of the type of teaching the person was raised. That's, I'm done with God. I wanted this, 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 other things to happen in this world, and He didn't. I'm thinking, this guy have a clue who he's talking to. Don't you tremble. That was a whole other sermon. I don't know where that came from. Where am I? Yeah, there. Okay. Application number three. Beware of going to the other extreme. Beware of going to the extreme that says, yeah, the kingdom is here, but now any type of power and work of the Holy Spirit or gifts of the Holy Spirit that He wants to operate through each other to encourage and build up one another, well, that's kind of ceased and passed away. I just say, no, just be careful. One thing that I'm very confident of, the rule and the reign of God, the power of God, the person of God and the Holy Spirit had come with Jesus, and that kingdom is here, and we're still to preach, 
that kingdom. And I do know we're broken, hurting people. It will be to the end. Our bodies are getting older. They continually deteriorate. It doesn't get any better. That's the bummer. Sometimes I'll get through this and the older you get, you realize it doesn't. It just gets worse. It's where we're going. In the power of Christ's kingdom, He may be wanting to minister life through you to another. He may actually heal someone physically of a temporary ailment of which they may die again later. (laughs) But He might do that. He might actually put something on your heart and you don't even know why. Not this, thus saith the Lord. Not like an Old Testament prophet. But you just say a word of encouragement and somehow that person melts and cries. The Spirit of Christ might want to minister to Let's not go to the other extreme. And finally, the kingdom of God has arrived. That's we know. Gospel, the kingdom is here. The King, Jesus, has come and He has dealt with sin once for all and He now presently sits at the right hand of the Father and He will rule and must rule until He has put all His enemies under His feet. So let us be a people that are desperate Not a one-time thing. Jesus didn't mean this one time when you're converted. He means in the midst of all your worries, how am I going to get food in my mouth? How am I going to pay this bill? Am I going to be able to have some break of vacation? Oh, I'm so overwhelmed with the kids and life and the pain and sickness. Whatever's going on in life. The real, He says, I know it. Seek, seek, and keep seeking first. The kingdom of God. That is, my rule, my righteousness, my commanding, my reigning lovingly and savingly over you. Seek it first before the basics of life. And I promise you, all the things you need, I will give to you. Let's pray. Father, I pray that You up the desperateness in every one of us here to seek. To seek Your rule and reign over us in Your Son. To seek the work of Your Holy Spirit doing sanctifying works in our life. To cause our hearts to gravitate more towards Your glorious promises than the fleeting pleasures of sin and selfishness. Make us, oh, to Your glory, make us more desperate today than we were yesterday. Change us deeper and deeper from one degree of glory to another. And Father, as we sing this glorious hymn of Your servant Martin Luther, do a work. Let us hear it. Let us feel it. Let us cloak it in. Reign over me, Lord Jesus.